Thank you for the introduction. Hallelujah. Amen. Good, you got it. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, church, for the invite and the invitation and um, the welcome. Uh, it's been a great time, uh, two days already. Uh, so the hospital has been great. Thank you so much for everything. Greetings from our church back home and from the leadership. Uh, they said that I should greet you. So receive their greetings in Jesus' name. Um, God's word now. Um, today we talk about remembering. Remembering is a concept that uh, you always use. Uh, so uh, that's what we are going to talk about. Uh, in Rwanda, for instance, we used remembering many times. We had uh, genocide 28 years ago. You heard about, you know the story, right? You know that part of history. Um, I will talk about it more in the evening. But one of the things that our society keeps, uh, still struggles with is the issue of forgiveness. Uh, some people come to me and they ask, um, is it okay to struggle with uh, remembering the person you have forgiven? You know, uh, someone, someone hurts you and then uh, you forgive the person, but then you keep struggling with remembering that. Because sometimes a motivational speaker has taught them that it is a sinner to keep remembering that someone has hurt you. But I tell them that uh, it's actually the contrary of that. Because when someone f uh, hurts you and you forgive them, it's not just one remembrance. It's two remembering, two aspects on two kinds of remembering. First of all, you remember that that person hurt you. For, for instance, in our context, he sought to kill you. Uh, he cut your arm or something. He left you dead. So how can you forget that? So you remember that. But the second thing you remember is that you have given them a big uh, offer. You have given them a big gift of forgiveness. So you remember twice. You remember that you have also forgiven them. That is a great remembering. That helps you to keep moving forward in life. It helps, helps you with progress. You are not held back by that history. Uh, you are indeed free to live a very um, uh, good life as a person. Now, we are going to talk about a different kind of remembering. It's remembering that God calls us to have as the Christian community, as the Christians. Uh, and that's the word of God we have read in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 11 to 22. Remembering, remembering many things that I will talk about, but the aspect is remembering. Now, in this book, uh, before I talk about um, the passage we have read, um, uh, it's good to get a bit of a context. This is the letter which was written by Paul, Paul the Apostle, around the year 61 um, of our Christian era, and he was a prison somewhere in Rome. When he writes this letter, he is encouraging Christians in Ephesus uh, to remain strong, to be strong, to stand firm. You know uh, Ephesians 6, the very big passage. Stand firm. You know, put on the, armor, the full armor of God. You know those verses. So he's calling them to stand strong in the midst of the many pressures of their life. And so the big thing he now brings, them to, uh, brings to them is the aspect of remembering. Our passage falls in the first half of the, of the, of the book because you can divide the book into uh, uh, chapter 1 to chapter 3 and then chapter 4 to chapter 6. Um, he says on verse 11, therefore remember. 
So therefore is a signal that there is something that has come before. What has come before is God has raised these believers powerfully with Christ and has made them sit uh, with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's what we see in chapter 1 up to chapter 2, verse 10. Now he tells them, therefore, since God has done that, since he has made you new, he has raised you up with Christ, now, therefore, remember. What are they supposed to remember? There are three things that I will talk about that are going to remember. And the first one is you remember your old situation and need, alienation. You were alienated from God. That's verse 11 to, 20, uh, to 12. Sorry. The church in Ephesus seems to have more Gentiles than Jews. When Paul was there, uh, that's uh, six years before he wrote this letter, the church was predominantly Jew, uh, but when he was doing his ministry, many G Gentiles joined in. And after he left, many Gentiles also joined. That's, one when, that's why when he is now writing, he, he, he is writing to Gentiles. He says, you Gentiles, so as if the whole church is Gentile. So, but it's because the church has grown predominantly Gentile. He gives them five things that they, are show, they should remember about themselves, uh, their situation before they received the gospel. The first thing, they were called uncircumcision by the Jews. Uncircumcision was an insult. It was an insult to, to tell them. It was more of, um, um, you, know, uh, you know the way the Muslims talk about Christians? They say you are kafirs. Or the way some Christians talk to non-believers and they say you are pagans. So that's the same thing. It was an insert. They were called uncircumcision. But yet the Jews themselves, their circumcision is talked about as made in the flesh by human hands. So Paul is not saying that the Jews were right in calling Gentiles uncircumcision. Because even their circumcision was by human hands. It wasn't something which we do, would make them righteous before God. The second description, they were separated from Christ, verse 12. That is, before they received Jesus Christ, they were away, they were depraved, they were separated, they were lost in their sinful, uh, depraved way, away from God. They were also alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's from the citizenship of Israel. They had no citizenship. They were Gentiles. They were outside the citizenship of Israel. They did not know God uh, because the true God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were away from that. So they were uh, outside the commonwealth, out, outside the citizenship uh, of Israel. They were also strangers to the covenants of promise. That reminds us of the big promises that God had made uh, with the chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, uh, the covenants through which we see a way being made for humanity to be reconciled back to God. And that's why the people of Israel had been chosen. Uh, and the last thing they accord, they had no hope and no God. And that's very true, because when you are outside the citizenship of Israel, you have no God, uh, you have no hope. They had no hope in the world. They were lost. 
because they didn't have this hope. They didn't even believe in the mediator that God had you know, given the word to Jesus Christ. But good enough, uh, we thank God that um, they later received the gospel. So these Gentiles were lost. They were citizenless. They were promiseless. They were godless. They were hopeless. So everything bad, they were without hope. They were dead, as the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 1. Dead in your transgressions and sin. Because true life comes from God. And without God, you have no life. He is the author of life. And once you don't have God, you have no life. They were totally alienated. These Christians have to remember two types of alienation. Alienation from God and alienation from one another. Alienation from God because they have no relationship with him. Like all Gentiles, they worshipped different other gods. And those gods are gods who are not God at all. Because they are not true God. And you know, the true God cannot be represented by any idols or statues as they use uh, to live. Many of these ones, they used to worship Artemis. It was the biggest goddess of that time. You know, uh, Artemis was very known. Uh, it, was, um, it was worshipped not just in Ephesus, but actually it was, Ephesus was simply a headquarter of that worship. Uh, uh, and many of these Gentiles used to be the worshippers of Artemis. It's the Diana, you know, the goddess Diana as well. You know, in the West, it came to be called Diana. So they had been worshippers of this, this god, and not just this one. There were other types of, of lostness, mysticism, and all other things. And they didn't simply know God. They had no relationship with God before this ministry of Paul. For God is alone, and there's no way of getting to know God apart from Jesus Christ. The second alienation that you have to remember is the alienation from, alienation from one another. Before the gospel, these members of this church, Ephesians, they did not, you know, go, they don't, they don't have any relationship with each other because they had two groups, Jews and Gentiles, and the two were not relating. The Jews excluded the Gentiles and the Gentiles excluded the Jews. And so they were divided Gentiles had no access to citizenship of Israel, which the Jews enjoyed. Uh, we, saw in, uh, we see in, in chapter four, sorry, verse 14 that Paul says there was a dividing wall of hostility, which was between them. So the laws and the commandments that the Jews had been given by God had become for them a way of excluding everyone else. So whoever was not, did not have these laws, um, they were supposed to be expressing their, their, their chosenness, and yet they used them as a way of excluding everyone else. So the non-Jews were excluded. In Jerusalem, there was this uh, big war which was read, where, where uh, there was inscription threatening death to trespassers, Gentiles. If you were Gentile and you trespassed there, you would be killed. That was the enmity. There was a big enmity between the two groups. The Jews and, and, and Gentiles were alienated from one another. Now, many people still live this kind of life, separated from each other and from God. 
Division is one of the clearest marks of alienation from God. For if people worship one true God, how can they be separated from each other? Rwanda, we are uh, good witnesses of, 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 of that kind of separation. Uh, because in 1994, when we had genocide, uh, 94% of our people claimed to be Christians. Did you hear that? 94% claimed to be Christians, and yet you had genocide. So that was false Christianity. But you need to understand that alienation, this alienation comes not from something else. It comes from, I mean, we all as humanity share that because we inherited it from our ancestors, Adam and Eve. When they sinned, when they committed the first sin, what happened? Abraham, I mean, Adam started blaming his wife. So who did this? My wife, the wife you gave to me. He didn't actually say my wife. He said, the wife you brought to me. Division. And from there, all his descendants, we inherited that, and the humanity never repented. The humanity needed a, uh, to be reconciled back to God, and it's a double reconciliation. We needed a double reconciliation for that type of a double alienation. Alienation from God and alienation from one another. So I'm not an American, uh, but I hope uh, you can relate. Divisions uh, happen based on tax bracket, uh, political ideologies, and even race. But, but sorry if that's a taboo to mention. But that's exactly the situation of these Ephesians before they came to Jesus. They were separated from each other and separated from God. They had no hope as godless people. So, back home in 1994, the so-called Christianity that was there, it was a Christianity of just a name. We call it nominal Christianity. So now, we've got a better government. You know, things are positive. People have to live together and all of those things. But is that the true ground for reconciliation? Pastor Eric has visited us many times, and he knows that there is a great need for gospel work in our country. So, friends, God has shown us here a double need, a double reconciliation that is needed for this double uh, alienation. He has clearly, and that's what we have uh, described very clearly, it's a double alienation, alienation from God and alienation from one another. But before I get to the answer of this, uh, this reconciliation need, let me, let me ask you this question. Why is this important for you today? If you believed in Jesus Christ, look at this as your former situation. Do you praise God? Do you worship God? Do you jump and say, hallelujah, thank you so much, God, for how you have taken me from this uh, former situation? And if you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, or you have not been born again, take this as an opportunity, an opportunity to see your situation for what it really is. It is a terrible situation. What I did not say is that this situation is indeed a situation that is leading to a destiny without God, to, lost, to destruction, judgment by God, 
a painful fire that's going to consume the enemies of God. And that is not a good situation to be until you believe in the mediator that God has given between man and God. I invite you, dear friend, to consider that you really don't have to pay the cost of your sin, the cost of your godlessness. Jesus paid that penalty for you. I will explain that in a moment. So that is one of the biggest motivations of our missional engagement. When we reach out to our countrymen, we know that we are indeed snatching them from the fire. Because we know that without trust and belief, faith in God, there is no way they can be reconciled with God. We know very well that when we send out a missionary to some Muslim place in Tunisia or to South Sudan among the tribal people of South Sudan who have not heard about Jesus Christ, we know it's indeed the only opportunity they have to be reconciled back to God. How was it made possible for sinners to be reconciled to God? Let me turn to the second point, the means of your reconciliation. Remember the means of your reconciliation, verse 13 to 18. We have said from these previous verses that there is a double alienation which needs a double reconciliation. God provided for that. God is so good. He's gracious. He's resourceful. He deployed much energy and power to achieve this reconciliation that was needed for the whole of humanity. So first, this double reconciliation was achieved by God through the work of Jesus Christ, his son. On verse 13, we read, uh, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. There was a time when Gentiles were far off, and that is the time of their former situation. For Christian believers, if they have come now to believe in Jesus Christ, it is a time they can refer to as a different era called pre-faith, pre-conversion, pre-Christ, an era of lostness, ignorance. And then Paul says, but now. Hallelujah. But now, which means there came to be another time. Things have now changed. They are a whole new people brought together, brought near God, reconciled to God. And that's happened by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a double reconciliation for a double alienation. From verse 14, Paul gives us the first type of reconciliation, reconciliation to one another. Christ himself is the only source of peace between those who have been antagonistic towards one another before the cross. On verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I already talked, um, I already talked about this hostility. How did Christ achieve reconciliation between the previously divided groups? He did it by establishing peace through the cross by abolishing the old covenant law and creating one new man, the church. In verse 15, Paul says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So the means of this reconciliation of divided groups is first by abolishing the old covenant law. This is referenced to the many laws which Jews thought were bringing them to God, and yet they were supposed to be just a reflection of their chosen identity. And secondly, he reconciled them by creating one new man, the church. Once the wall of hostility is demolished, the two divided groups start now coming together. The second reconciliation Jesus achieved was the reconciliation of believers to God. Verse 16 to 18. How? He first put to death the enmity that was between man and God. Verse 16 says, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the cross of Christ was the very means by which he killed the enmity that was between the two groups and between them and God. What does this mean? So when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he paid the sacrifice that was required for making peace between man and God. So a sinless man had to die in the place of sinful men to be the sacrifice for the sin of the whole of humanity. And Jesus Christ was the only sinless man. He was the only sinless person in the entire human race. So God the Father had sent him to become man. You know that as the incarnation. We celebrate that on, the, on, on, on Christmas. So um, to live a pure life and die in the place of all the sinful men and bring them back to God. So the cross achieved just that. That was what made peace between God and man. On verse 17, Christ preached death, sorry, preached peace, sorry. Christ preached peace to Jews on the one side and to Gentiles on the other side. We read, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. When you read this, you can think that the Jews were near and therefore they didn't need this preaching of peace. But it says he preached peace to both of you. Indeed, the Jews were not accepted because it's not those commandments which were supposed to make them accepted. So they also needed this preaching of peace. They thought they were near, near God. They thought they were, you know, they, they, they had these privileges, and yet they forfeited them. So they also need. Both groups had to be reconciled with God. One was far off, the other one was near, but both needed this preaching of the message of the cross that Jesus had just achieved. They needed to be reconciled with God. You remember the language Paul used in verse 12 when he says about the, he talks about the circumcision. It was a circumcision which was made by human hands because true circumcision is the circumcision that was made that is made by God, the circumcision of hearts. He talks about that in Romans. You know, the circumcision of hearts and it is only done by God. When someone hears the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, and repents and believes in Jesus Christ, that's when his heart gets circumcised. He indeed is changed, and he is reconciled with God. 
thanks be to Jesus, our reconciler, our maker of peace, our preacher of peace as well. So there's something special in verse 18. It was God's design to achieve this reconciliation as a united work of the triune God. This verse says, for or because through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See? Through Jesus Christ, we both, both, both groups have access to the Father through one spirit. So the Father wants to save or, and reconcile the whole of humanity to himself, but what does he do? He sends the Son, and the Son dies on the cross to kill the hostility, the hostility and make peace, and then make that message available to the whole of humanity to hear and believe. And yet, it is the Spirit who empowers the preaching of the gospel, and it is the Spirit who convicts the hearts of men so that they are drawn to believe in Jesus Christ. That's indeed the picture of the beauty of God, the true God who is trying, who is not like Artemis, the true picture of God who brings together the two groups, who reconciles the regenerated hearts of men. Hallelujah. Through Jesus Christ, both groups gain access to the Father in one spirit. If you want things in order, reconciliation between God and man paved the way for reconciliation between man and man. Because once the two groups pledge allegiance to the same God and are transformed by this allegiance, this faith in the one triune God, they automatically come together. We say back home that once the two divided people or the two antagonistic people uh, start hugging the cross, embracing the cross, they end up hugging one another. Because that's what happens. They are all focused on the cross, the worship of one true God, and they end up becoming one, literally speaking. When we struggle with all kinds of division, we always have to return to the cross. We hear of different organizations trying to bring peace, you know, somewhere in some divided tribes, yet without the cross in the center. We have to question, is that true reconciliation? There is no reconciliation without the cross, and there is no lasting, strong peace away from Jesus Christ, because he is the true reconciler. So remember Jesus, the true reconciler. Remember the blood that was shed for you. Remember his intention and purpose. So brothers and sisters in Christ, remember Jesus and reject all division that may exist among you. Did we all alive at the cross if we still have Divisions among believers. Rwandans are still on that road themselves. Um, I will share that in the missions update in the evening. But we are on a mission as our church, Gospel Community Church, to bring together people through the message of the cross and have gospel-centered churches planted in Rwanda because we believe it is the only way that true reconciliation can be achieved. It is what we did not have. We had 
messages of Jesus Christ preached, evangelization, you know, mass evangelization, many people baptized, and yet we did not have Christ and his work at the center. We did not have people to be transformed by the true preaching, the true discipleship, and so genocide was very easy to happen, even in a Christianized, in a Christianized country like that. It was like shining, a shining car without a, functioning, a functional engine, like a broken bucket which cannot hold water. And so our church is on a mission to become like a factory slowly replacing those shining cars with new cars with brand new engines or replacing those buckets with new buckets, gospel-centered churches. Did you meet Jesus? Were you reconciled to God personally? It doesn't matter whether you thought it's about working hard, but it doesn't come from your works. It can be a good time for you to come to Jesus Christ. When you are convicted that you are a sinner deserving God's judgment, and you open your heart to trust in Jesus Christ. And even now, he wants you to let him be your king and your savior. Just surrender yourself fully to him. And he will give you the peace, the everlasting peace with him. The last thing that I want to talk about, but I want, I want to explain uh, in details, it's what they are supposed to remember. The third thing to remember, the result of reconciliation, a diverse community of citizens. Let me read that one. Ephesians 2, 11, uh, verse 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a picture of a healthy community created by the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. There are three things that he talks about. One, it's a community where there are no longer aliens and strangers to each other, but they have become fellow citizens. Citizenship is important. You know when you become a citizen of a certain country, that especially if it's a country you love so much. Um, I give the example of... Uh, Pastor Eric, he loves Rwanda so much. So when he is given a Rwandan nationality, a Rwandan citizenship, he becomes like me. He goes to vote. He, be, he buys land. He builds houses. He can even become a member of parliament. He, he gets everything just instantly, becoming a citizen. So it doesn't matter whether he's white on the skin and I'm black on the skin. We have the same equal rights because he has been given citizenship. So that is how each believer should feel in the church. Unity in diversity should not be a strange concept, but it should rather be celebrated because no one is above, no one feels low. All are living as God's children, beloved, and they feel that love to the glory of Christ, their Savior and their uniter, Jesus Christ. The second thing that this church is, 
this church is a church that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It simply sees itself as a continuation of the work of the apostles. It's a continuation of Abraham. They see Abraham as their, as their father. They see, you know, Paul as their founder, even if they have been founded just a year ago. They see themselves as a, an apostolic church because the New Testament scriptures are their scriptures. They see themselves as built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And three, they are a growing community to the glory of God. So growth is both in depth and in size. There's nothing that can set it back. It's, um, uh, when, when we talk about this growth, it's, it's indeed a call to the church not to see divisions among themselves and tolerate that. Rather, it's a call to pursue and address those kind of things. You know, conflicting parties being brought together and that is indeed the temple growing. It's like a structure that, you know, how you build a structure, you know, like this structure, how it was built. You know, you take, you lay the foundation, and then you bring in the bricks, you know, as the, the, the structure takes shape. It's growing. So that is indeed how the church is working on its unity and also expanding. So that's how the structure is being, you know, elevated. You know, the structure taking shape to the glory. Of God. It's also a call to the church to see itself as an instrument of reconciliation, being the pursuers of peace among believers, preachers of Christ, the peacemaker, to the hurting world, being ambassadors of the reconciler to the unreached, to those who are yet here. By the way, do you know there are some places where Christ has not been heard? We have a missionary in South Sudan. I visited them once. It's in, among, the, among the forests, you know, uh, the tribal people. And you know what? They have not heard their language that is not written. And, you know, it's, they are struggling to learn the language which is not even written, trying to, re- to, to write language and translate the scriptures. In the, it still happens. So this is a call for us to see ourselves as missional, to see ourselves as... So it's a call to bring the unreconciled world back to Jesus Christ. So the city light has reached out to Rwanda. Um, you know about the orphans that this church helps. Uh, and now we are on another mission to see the planting of churches. What's what in the churches? That is indeed our reason for the partnership. Because we believe that reconciliation can only happen through Jesus Christ. And it's our call as the church to expand, to grow indeed, to have this temple of God grow to the glory of God as more and more people get reconciled to God as the gospel gets preached and new churches get planted to the very glory of our God. So let me conclude with this. Once you remember Christ, the reconciler, you remember your former situation. You remember Christ and his reconciling work as he offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin, making peace with God and with fellow men. We remember the vision of God, the God that God had in reconciling us. He wanted to create a community of children united in their diversity under Christ as, he, as its head for the glory of God. Yes, a community that lives out that reconciliation as it goes out and becomes ambassador to those who are yet to be reconciled, to be brought in 
So it's a call for your church, but it's also a call for our church. But also it's a call for you as individuals, as those who have been reconciled to God. You can start it from your home, from your workplace, from your family. You can start it in your community and your neighbors. You just need to use the eyes of Jesus and see those who are yet, those who are alienated, all those kinds of alienation that is existing around you. And you become the preacher of peace, Christ's ambassador. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Thank you for reconciling us yourself through the blood of your son. Thank you for each individual and for this whole church. And I pray, Lord, uh, for anyone that may be in our midst who is unsure if he is reconciled with the creator God. Will you, our God, bring him to yourself? I pray for anyone who wants to come to you, to believe in you, please receive him today. And I pray for those who are reconciled to you, and yet we did not take it seriously. We did not take it uh, uh, so much as a big thing. Please reignite the fire of the lost in us. And I pray that if there is any shadow of division among us, that you indeed help our hearts to be reunited. Help us to remember who we were and what you have achieved for us and what you want us to become. May this church be a beacon of light for this city and the whole world to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. So in his name we will pray. Amen.